Shannon Tipton here, and welcome to the Learning Rebels Coffee Chat, where all the cool L&D peeps hang out. While you're here, don't forget to hit the subscribe button so you don't miss out on future chats. Today, the cool kids were sharing their favorite reads during our summer Bring a Book Chat. I've been looking forward to this chat. Many questions I get from the L&D community are about how to upskill, and those questions are simply answered by read more. Now, that could be actual reading of a full book or reviewing research papers or staying on top of your favorite blogs. It could also be just listening, like audiobooks or subscribing to tools like Blinkist or listening to your favorite author's podcast. The important thing, though, is to be open to new information, not just information that aligns with your thinking, but with information that challenges it. So the question on the table today is, what is on your reading list? So without further ado, let's get to it. All right. Well, hello once again, another Learning Rebels Coffee Chat. And today we are bringing our favorite books with us. And I am really excited to talk with everyone about what you're reading and what's moving your world and, you know, what's making you think or what's making you laugh or whatever, you know, because you know, with the pandemic, I don't know, like I said in my email, I don't know about you, how many of you made a commitment that you're going to read more? Am I alone in that? <laughs> I read so much already that I did not want to read more. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, I certainly said, you know what, I'm going to take this opportunity to read a little bit more than what I used to. And I did and I didn't, you know, I kind of went through spurts where I found something interesting and then, you know, went a long break without reading something like a book. I mean, I read plenty of articles, but a real, you know, cover to cover book seems almost like a guilty pleasure. Who's got the time to really, you know, read through a whole entire book, you know, which I guess is why businesses like Blinkist, you know, are around where they can give us the cliff notes, right, of different books. But I really want to make this summer a collective for me anyway, a goal is to get through some of my more favorite books. And I wanted to build on that and seeing what everybody here is reading and what you all are up to and what were some of your favorite reads. Are you guys all ready? Do you have something to share? Yes. Excellent. Who wants to get this ball rolling? Who's going to share first? So I have two that I wanted to share today. One of them is The Four Essential Keys to Effective Communication by Bento C. Leal. And I use this book to create a class on communication for our staff. And it's gone over pretty well. We had to change some of the language because he talks about loving people and loving people at work did not work for my work. But when we changed the terminology to liking or appreciating it was fine. It's basically, it talks about how you have to have empathy and then you have to appreciate the other person and appreciate yourself before you can actually communicate with them. So four essential keys to effective communication. I like how you were thinking about it. You know, how can we take the important messaging and make it work for our organization? 
you know, because a lot of that touchy-feely kind of love language for our organizations doesn't necessarily go the way that we had hoped, you know, so that's great. And is that a book that gets handed out to everybody? No, we, we just use the class. I mean, because we know if we give them a book, they're not going to read it. In every class that we teach, we talk about how communication is really important. And so we thought, oh, why don't we have a class on communication? So that's how this class got started. I've done it about three times. It's been pretty recent that I did this course. I took some liberties with it. Like it's four keys in the book. And I did three keys because the last one is really practice and not really much of a key. It's just practice. So I just adjusted it. I took lots of liberties and adjusted it to the needs of the company. Excellent. Okay. Well, thank you for that. Who's going to go next? So the most important book that I've read probably in the last 10 years is by a guy called Alf Rain, R-E-H-N. And he's a professor of innovation uh, out of Finland. And he's written two books. One is to do with innovation and, and innovation for fatigue for people who are constantly fed up of hearing the word innovation and nothing changing. But his first book is the one that I really buy into, which is called Dangerous Ideas. And that challenged everything that I thought I knew about creativity. You can get it on Amazon Kindle for 99p, and I cannot recommend this book enough. I must have read it and reread it four or five times, and every time I read it, I go back and get something else from it. He challenges, for example, why we use brainstorming exercises and how poor they are at actually finding creative ideas. It just lays it out and it makes perfect sense. And you read it and go, yeah, 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 yeah. And you will just nod along to it. And he comes up with a dozen different creative ideas that you're thinking about something and read the book and then you will come back and do something differently. You know that I'm a bit disruptive, Shannon. He's entirely in tune with the way I think about stuff. Nice. I am definitely adding that to my list. I don't think I've seen that. So I'm really excited to find a, a new book that's on the radar. You said that there, did he write two books? Yeah, there, there's another book that he's written called Innovation for the Fatigued. Nice title. So what he does is he goes into organizations and he shows them how to be more creative. What he's doing there is telling the war stories of the things that happened as a result of him going in and talking to people. So strongly recommend you read the books in order. So read the Dangerous Ideas one before you read the Innovation for the Fatigue one. But as a pair... They are just outstanding. Great. Ooh. Ooh, I like that. Uh, that's going to go add to my Kindle list here. Nice. Thank you. I love reading books that are just going to, you know, create that aha moment about really looking at something from a different perspective, you know, so just to really create some challenge. That's awesome. Okay, great. Douglas, what you got? What you got in your reading I see something in your background there. Yeah, you do. So so I got a couple things. My all-time go-to is still got to be Dale Carnegie's How to Win Friends and Influence People. I retread that book every so often just because, I mean, I read it the first time in like, I don't know, years ago. And uh, <laughs> so, But yeah, so our L&D team, we have a little book club that we do from time to time and Somebody makes a suggestion or we roll through it and we give each other exercises to do on it. So currently we're making it through uh, Made to Stick, which it's got some value to it. I'm not finding it one of my most faves. Okay. Why is that? Because I really enjoyed that book. 
I'm not saying anything disparaging. It's just sometimes it feels very, I get the idea that they're telling the same story in a lot of different directions, right? Because we all hear on different levels. We all absorb at different levels and stuff like that. But in my world, in my brain, this could have been a great paperback. Oh, okay. First off, I know there's a couple of Make It Stick books. Which one are you talking about? Which Who's the author of yours? This is uh, with Chip and Dan Heath. Okay. Oh, that's made to stick. Ah, so my book, the one that I was thinking of is different. It's Making It Stick gotcha. by Peter Brown. I haven't read that one yet. Okay. All right. Good. And then uh, when I was down at ATD last yeah, week. Yeah, what'd you I pick out at ATD? Aha. Uh-huh. Crucial, crucial conversations. conversations. I got about I know, almost halfway through on the cruise. I was on over the weekend. So I'm kind of digging it. Nice. What do you like about it? I mean, it's a very popular book. What do you like about it? So far, I like their explanations. I haven't gotten into the put it into practice aspect of it yet. They keep alluding to it like uh, their radio hosts giving you a hook. You know, after the commercial break, we'll tell you about this thing. So I'm kind of liking where it's going. I'm, I'm interested to see the conclusion, so to speak, and then how to try to incorporate that into both personal, but also from the professional aspect. How can I use this to help make some of our folks next level kind of stuff? Okay. If you get the chance to take the class because they give you an opportunity to practice the skills in there and they correct you, you know, like if you practice on your own, you don't get corrected when you need it. And so I found that to be incredibly useful. I hear you, Renee. I've already written that three times in my notes on the side look into taking the class, look into taking the class. So I got to get to the end so that I can have all of the bullets to uh, shoot at my boss to say, yeah, I think that's a good idea. So, but then on top of it, I'm more of a got to get it quick micro. My brain just needs micro. So I've been doing a lot more podcast kind of stuff in relation to learning and development, as well as other things like Jay Shetty is one I've been listening to a bunch lately. A shout out to Mr. Washburn up there in Washington too. Right. uh, Right. And then, of course, you've got to have Andrew's podcast on your list. Well, I will now. (laughs) Absolutely. The great thing is it's women talking about learning. So it's only women guests, only women speakers, because women are underrepresented in senior roles in learning and development, and we need to role model more women. Brother, they are underrepresented in all kinds of levels. They are. There's a two-to-one gap. So there's twice as many women in junior roles and senior roles in learning and development. And for men, it's the other way around, twice as many men in senior roles. And so the point of the podcast is to create role models for women within the learning space. And the topics can be learning-related. So I've just recorded, I'm doing a learning theory one next week. We've just done one on hybrid. We've done one on inclusive leadership came out this week. We've done stuff on misogyny, confidence, imposter syndrome, the Bean Girls one. That was a fun one. That's all about women punching down on other women. Really good fun to do. Highly recommended. Sold. Pretty good elevator speech. (laughs) I mean, I've been on it myself, so there's no bias there at all. (laughs) But it's still a a great thing to listen to. And I I believe a lot of these books, a lot of books nowadays, they have companion podcasts that go with them. So it's important to look into that. So if you find a book or an author that you feel really strongly about, that you really resonate with, then most likely they may have a podcast that goes along with it. So give that a check out. 
Who's going to go next? I have a couple of books. I haven't read them yet, but I'm getting into them. This is the first one, The Leadership Code. Okay. What I like about this one is I just started looking at it. It's five five rules to lead by. And this Dave Ulrich is one of the authors and Norm Smallwood. But it talks about shaping the future, making things happen, engaging today's talent, which is like the rule three, the talent manager. And then a human capital developer is like building the next generation. And then in the middle, it has like, you should prioritize your personal proficiency. And the rule five is to invest in yourself, which connects to this because you invest in yourself by reading great books. So the leadership code. Thank you. And then the second one is, um, and I'm pretty sure Rita Allen did an ATD presentation, but I have her personal branding and marketing yourself. Okay. And the subtitle of this one is the three P's marketing technique as a guide to career empowerment. So that's the part that I really want to hone in on the career empowerment for the employees. I work at the university. So um, for our employees and actually empowering them in their careers. And I have tons of other books on my desk, but I'll just, (laughs) these are a couple of the other ones that I have sitting right here. So I have a lot of things going on, but one page talent. And what was the other one? Steps to high performance. Oh, I've seen that book. Someone who, oh, I don't know if they were at ATD or if it was prior to that, but they had posted, I think it was at ATD, they posted a bunch of books that they bought. And then I bought some really good used versions of these books. Like I bought these all used and they look like they're brand new books. So I have a lot of reading to do and I love to read and I love to actually have a tangible book in my hand. So. Right. And I just recently posted something out on Twitter about that. There are some books I like having on my Kindle and there are some that I like to do in hand. And I find that I absorb information better with research when I have it in hand. I agree. You know, and I don't know why that is. I'm sure that some neuroscientist out there could tell me why that is. But when it comes to research papers, I just can't absorb it the way that I feel like I can absorb it. If it's sitting on my Kindle or on my computer, I actually print them out and, you know, make the notes and highlight and all that. But when it comes to books like what we're talking about here, I'm okay reading those on my Kindle. So it's really interesting, the the dynamic there. Anybody else the same way I saw some nods? You know what I found with Kindle is that if you highlight it and you can only highlight 10%, but you can print your highlights. And so that has been really useful to me to be able to have that printed record of what I found impactful. So I do that. I agree. I do the same thing. And then it also keeps track of the notes. So you can add your own notes and such. So I I do that too. And you can print out those notes. You can also post those notes, you know, on Twitter. So if you write a note on a Kindle document, you could post that note or that comment out on Twitter, which is kind of fun. You know, so if you're reading a book together, you know, with a group of people, that might be an interesting exercise to do. I strongly recommend using the Kindle app on your laptop as well. If you haven't done it, try using the Kindle app on your laptop because it makes it really easy to pull all of your comments and notes out in one place. Oh, that's a good idea. I do not have it on my laptop. It's a much richer experience than the notes you have on the Kindle itself. I'll make a note of that and make that happen. Okay. Do I make notes in the book? 
Uh, you know what? I don't. I don't make notes in a book. I maybe because when I grew up, they just beat into you. Don't write in the book. You know, don't write in books. Don't write in books. And so I will write notes on a post-it note and put them in the book. <laughs> Carol's with me. She's like, yes. I don't know why. And I'll start to, and then I physically go to make the motion and then I pull back. It's like, nope, no writing in the book. That doesn't sound very rebel-like. I know it doesn't, does it? <laughs> Rebels should write all over their books. But they're fully posted noted though. <laughs> so I, I will give it that. It's called marginalia if you do it. And it has been around for centuries. Ever since books were created, people have been making notes in books and it's called marginalia okay so you're perfectly allowed to do it well now that i have permission thank you and i was at the british library a number of years ago and they had da vinci's books da vinci's notes they ha also had a display of a book that was not his but a book that he had written notes in you know so all of his little and he has teeny tiny writing all in the little uh, margins and I found that to be fascinating. So I'm going to have to be more rebel-like right in the books. Okay. Who wants to go next? We're in the process of moving. So I don't have the book in hand, but it's called Radicalizing Learning, Adult Education for a Just World. And we actually use it as a textbook in one of my instructional design classes. It's not entirely specific to instructional design and technology, but it's absolutely relevant to um, any sort of adult education. What it is, is a perspective of education and uh, business training through a social perspective. I will say some people in the class did not like it because there were individual ideas here and there that bordered on what you might think, you know, oh, no, this communism or something. But it is not a political book. So I wanted to warn you, because especially the first chapter, I, I remember reading and thinking, um, are we allowed to read this at a public university? And are we allowed to read this? <laughs> <laughs> the introduction is odd, so I thought, but the the rest of the content really focuses on looking at your learners, whether it's in a business or a school, regardless of age, as part of a community and a culture, and using that to help them own what they're learning. Some of it was very profound. Some of it was more like, there's businesses I know of that have a holistic approach, but it aims more towards that than the traditional classroom manner. So I thought I'd um, share it. It is um, by John D. Holst and Stephen Brookfield. Another warning, I don't know what else these gentlemen have written. So if uh, it ends up being, you know, Marxist handbook for the world. I, I <laughs> this book, once you get past the preface, it specifically goes into how to make sure um, that your you know, women are being included in your business. You know, how to address racial diversity in your, your business or your classroom. It's, it's really pretty profound. Thank you. Excellent. No, thank you. Thank you. And, you know, we all know this, the way we teach or train or present learning, we really do need to think differently about that. And that's not just, you know, a tagline from my business. It's the truth, you know, and even in the public school sector, especially is ripe for some sort of change, putting ourselves out there and reading things that really do challenge the way we think such as that is going to help us think more clearly about what some of the next steps might be and to help us break down the the barriers of what we think we know and having putting that bias aside. So thank you for sharing that. And I'm sure that I'm going to add that to my list. And 
We'll see whether or not it's the Marxist manifesto, but I'm sure that is great. All right. Who would like to go next? Thank you so much for hosting this conversation. I am writing down all of your recommendations and it's inspiring me to pick up. I felt like I've only been reading like saucy fictional books. That's fine. (laughs) We got summertime coming around. Give me some sauce. I haven't like delved back into this sort of genre in so long, ever since pre-pandemic. I've just kind of felt in a yuck in survival mode. (laughs) But I did do the Alt-MBA, Seth Godin's Alt-MBA, I don't know if any of you are familiar with, and like three of the books in there changed my life. One was The Coaching Habit. I'm sure maybe you've all Oh, yes. Yep. Yeah, Michael Bungay-Stanier. And I don't write notes, but I do take like my own little cliff note document. It's just one page. So I can just pull it out and I have my own cliff notes. The title is self-explanatory. Just ask more questions, be more curious and stop giving your own advice to everyone. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then the other one was Steal Like an Artist. It's kind of like a tabletop book. Love that book. I love everything that Austin Kleon writes. And it's really good for when you're stuck or you're feeling imposter syndrome or you're feeling like whatever you want to contribute to whatever you're doing really won't be valuable. I, I, I pull this out like a little Bible, you know, it's really helpful. Yes. And the way that he pieces together information in of itself. So forget about the actual words or even the point of the book, I guess. But if you think about the way that he puts information on a page, Mm -hmm. it's just so clever. Yeah. And that in of itself gives me design ideas. It's, oh, look at the way that that information was presented. We could do that in a workbook or a handout or whatever, you know, so we can absolutely steal, not just well, we don't want to steal what he does, obviously, but you know, it's like we can be influenced by those ideas. Yeah, his layout. And speaking of like visual design, that the last one I'll say is I don't know if you've ever seen the business model generation. Totally not L and D, but it's from like marketing in the business industry. But another one of those things where you can, if you're you do really well with whiteboarding and visualizing whatever your value that you're trying to map out for whatever it is you're doing. There's like a lot of tools in there that you can play with and it's just fun. It gets you kind of, again, unstuck and out of your head. Great. Add that to the list. Yes. All right. Well, thank you for that, Amanda. But I will give you a couple of my favorites. And first is this one by Julian Stodd, the Social Leadership Handbook. And I have been a fangirl of Julian Stodd for ever. His website, very clever. And the way that he goes about talking about design, all of his images here are all hand-drawn by him. I've got several copies of this particular book, but this one is my, see, I got it autographed by him. So this, oh, the the book just creaked because I don't open this particular book. What I really like about the way that Julian presents his thoughts is They just speak to you on a human level. And when you talk about leadership and the things that leadership could be doing, it's very pragmatic. It makes sense. But it also makes you go, oh, that's a little bit of a curveball that you just threw me that I hadn't thought about leadership like this before. And that this is something that anyone can do. So it's not leadership for the elite. It's leadership for all of us. It's very motivational for me. Also, the other thing that I do love is that at the end of each of his chapters, he gives you 
talking points or thinking points. So he asks you some questions about what did this concept mean to you and what, how should you put this in front of your organization? So if you want to talk about these topics to your organization, how should you do that? You know, and I think a lot of business books neglect to mention that. These are all great ideas, crucial conversations, great ideas, communication, great ideas. But how do you talk to senior leadership about this? if you want to move the concept forward. And he brings those to you. And one of the other areas that he talks about is he has what he calls the net model of social leadership and how we can move around this. It's all of these different dimensions, if you will, of leadership and how they all coexist together and how we can make them all work on this very social level in this very social world that we have. So I'm very excited about this book and everything that Julian does. This is actually, he's just revised this. There's a a new edition. Go on his blog, follow his blog. He also has a newsletter and he's got all of his books that he publishes himself. So they're not mass produced. And that's also kind of one of those things that says a lot about Julian. He takes ownership of what he does and he produces it himself. I remember when he came out with his first edition, I think he was working out loud chapter by chapter and he present each chapter at conferences and like solicit input. It was fascinating to see someone publish a book and work out loud on it. Right. And it takes courage to do that. You know, we all get very protective, myself included, about the things that we write and the things that we do because we don't want other people to, you know, take our IP or, you know, do something else with it that perhaps you didn't intend it to be. And he just throws it all out there. And I I love that. I love that area of sharing. And then the other book that I really like is uh, Designing for Modern Learning. And as I've been floating around the industry for X amount of years, I shall not give away the exact amount of years without giving away my total age. I've gone through Addy, I've gone through Agile, I've gone through all of the methods of designing learning per se, and I am an Addy girl to my core. I know that's not rebellious, but the way that we can use it can be rebellious. Okay, that being said, is this book here really did really did make me think differently about designing in general. And the idea, I've always used the concept of designing for humans anyone who's been around me for any length of time or has read my writing is we're designing for humans. We're not designing for learners. We're designing for humans. That's always been my mantra. And so when I was reading this book and I saw the chapter about human-centered learning objectives, that really spoke to me because people don't come to work to fail. So how can we help them be better, smarter, faster than they were yesterday? And that's by targeting learning, training, information directly to the human need, which might be, you know, increasing their commissions or helping them talk to other employees without getting defensive. You know, all of those are human need. You know, so when you think about communication, it's you're going to go through this class so that way you can have conversations with your peers without feeling defensive at the end. That's a human need. That's a human outcome. And to see it written in this book in a way that really aligned with what I believe philosophically was very important to me. So there is that book. And I'll give you one more. I love this book. I love anything that Nancy Doherty does. Data story. 
And so data story, we as an industry have a hell of a time trying to work through data. And we also have a hell of a time communicating data. So we have data that comes out of our learning management systems. We have anecdotal data. We have data that comes out of surveys. We have data that comes from us from all sorts of different directions, P&L statements, HR reports, et cetera. So now how do you collate that data? One, two, how do you present that data in such a way that it's being spoken to on human terms that you can get buy-in for whatever it is that data is telling people? And what I love about this book is it really does help you think about different ways to organize your data in such a way that you can communicate the need. While it's nuanced in scope, I think it's very important for every L&D person to have on their bookshelf. So those are my top three. Now, did any of those books that everybody else talked about sparked other additions to our list? So Renee. There's a book called The Culture Map. It's by Aaron Meyer. It is really cool. And it's basically, they did all this research between companies that were working internationally between two countries and found that a lot of their communication problem was in fact the culture. They all discounted the fact that it was the culture and they, through their research, they proved that it was the culture that was the difference. And so they've mapped out, like for instance, the U.S. falls very much to the, to the left end of a scale that indicates that we are very plain spoken and we explain everything. Whereas Asian countries typically are the other way where everything is kind of just understood. It's not explicit. So knowing that about the two countries helps you communicate better with them. She has a website where you can actually map particular cultures so that you can see where you land on the map. So, and this is another one we have a habit of, like if we find a good book, we make a class out of it. So we did that for this. And there's eight scales that they look at and it's a really moving book and it's a fast read. It's a really good read. Excellent. I love that. Now there's a book out there and Sharon Wingram, I think, contributed to it. It's the Global Training, I want to say Global Training Handbook, but I don't think that's it. She put together a book on all of the different types of cultures that are out there and how to train to those cultures. So certain things to keep in mind. So if you are in front of an Asian audience, try to keep this in mind. You know, if you're in front of a Middle Eastern audience, try to keep this in mind. So she nailed down, and it's a very thick book too. So she nailed down all of these different types of audiences that you may have and how to target your training so that we're not offending them culturally and that we're also reaching them. So it was a book well before its time. And it's sitting on my bookshelf right now. But I thought that that was really good, really very helpful. We got that on the podcast, the learning culture one. I had two guests, one from France and one from Scotland. And they were talking about the learning cultures and the expectation around people to engage with things. Yeah, we all say everybody wants to learn for themselves. Well, no, they don't. If you go into the Middle East, there's an expectation of command, direction, 
placing people and putting the content in front of them in a certain way. And if you set an expectation around self-determination or even self-direction, you know, even limited self-direction, you will not get people to take things forward. So, yeah, interesting uh, topic. There's some big issues there. You spot on. Yes, yes. And I think that, again, it was well ahead of its time. Some L&D pockets are just now really starting to get a hold of that particular topic. And she was writing about that many moons ago. Okay. You know what? There was one book that I also wanted to make mention of. So when you were talking about the book regarding habits, there's also the book by Charles Duhigg, which is called Habits. And that was another book that really rocked my world. And I read that book a number of years ago. What really spoke to me was the whole chapter about triggers, habit triggers. So he gives the analogy of brushing our teeth. And way back, you know, when we first were brushing our teeth, one of the things that the healthcare industry wanted to get across was how can we get people to brush their teeth more? You know, we know that this is a a health issue. So how can we do that? And they went back and they did some research. And in short, this long story short, is that when we wash our clothes, when we wash our hands, one of the signals that we see is foam or lather. And when we see that sort of foam, we assume that something's happening. And so that's when they decided, you know what, we should add a component to toothpaste that makes it foam up. So when people brush their teeth, they see more foam and they keep brushing their teeth to generate more foam, right? Because they think that the foam is making their teeth more clean when in fact it does nothing to make your teeth clean. All it is, is an emotional trigger. And I thought that is just fascinating. And that whole chapter itself about why we do the things we do, I found to be really interesting. So that was one more book. When I saw that book on habits that you brought up, then that made me think of that other one. So triggers and triggers. Now, Douglas, I wanted to touch base with you before we left today about your book club. I'd like to learn more about how you are conducting those and if you're finding them to be successful. As far as that goes, we kind of collectively offer up a couple choices for the book that we're going to read next. We've only been doing this for, I don't know, seven months or so, right before the beginning of the year. And then somebody will volunteer and we'll just kind of go around the circle of who's going to lead the next group, right? So everybody gets an opportunity. They'll establish, you know, we'll look at the chapters. Some chapters you can get all the way through. Some, there's so much information, you kind of break it up into segments. We'll schedule another meeting, take about an hour. And that's kind of forcing everybody to actually do it. But then somebody will send out, the person that's leading it will send out a homework assignment and try to make some kind of a something, right? So what was the most interesting part of this chapter to you? How did it affect you? Why and how can you use that to apply to something that you're working on currently, right? To kind of make that that ever so promising back on the job relate to what the information that we're doing. And it's completely optional. And there's times that we're, we're on it like every two weeks and other times like lately, we're all scattered to different places and we're like, eh, put a pause, you know, put a pin in it kind of thing. So, I mean, it's a nice way to kind of get the team together on a completely different level, but yet still make it very relevant to the work that we're doing. Force everybody to kind of grow a little bit as well internally. I like it. Where are you hosting the conversation? So when you say that people, you know, comment, where are they commenting? We do a team Zoom call. 
oh, okay, is any of it captured somewhere else, like on a Teams channel or a Slack channel or any of those things? No, our company is, so a couple things. Our learning and development team is very infantile. It's only two years old. Okay. So some of the things that we're doing and uh, with that, 365 and Teams is just getting ready to come online for the company. So as far as some of the technology, we're a little antiquated or behind the times. So, but we all kind of add our information into a group OneNote so that we're kind of tracking it that way. Yeah. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with that. OneNote's a great tool to use. When you think about it, there's ways of capturing information. You could do, you know, a WhatsApp group private WhatsApp group. You could do a private Facebook group. You could do, if everyone's on Twitter, you could do a Twitter chat, 140 characters. What's your thought? There's a variety of ways. You don't have to be super sophisticated to do it, but I love that you guys are meeting and talking about it. Is it like a legend learn kind of thing or morning coffee? How is it that you're gathering people? We try to do it. So Fridays, we usually have a weekly team meeting where we're all kind of in the same group because we're all over the country. We're operating independently, but together in some cases. So I put a, a link to a, an image that I use in the, in the chat. And then that's what I call the 3A model. So awareness acquisition application. And one of the benefits of that is that you can set an expectation with people before they read the book. So what we're looking for is, is this awareness? Is this something you already knew about, but you just need a reminding of? Is it about acquisition? Is it new information to you? And then thirdly, application, how might you use it in the workplace? And so what that does in the form of a book club is it isn't just a talking shop for people to talking about things. You actually say or set an expectation for people that they should get one of those three A's out of being there. Um, and obviously what you're looking for is more application stuff than you have around the others. And that's the issue sometimes. And Brene, you brought this up. You know, if you build a course around a book and of course, anyone listening, there's an asterisk there. If you build a course around the book, be sure that you're not lifting stuff from the book because that's a copyright issue. So you you guys want to be sure to cover yourselves with that. So there's my little PSA for anybody listening. But when you say you don't want to hand the books out to people because you don't know what they're going to be getting out of them, I think that this is a good conversation to have because in past organizations, I've had leaders who wanted me to buy, you know, 500 books and send it to everybody without a reason behind it and knowing that that's going to be good money after bad. So you want to really set the tone of how are we going to use this information? So I appreciate, Renee, that you guys are thinking about that when you build programs around books. So I like that. Okay, so while we are ticking off to the top of our hour, are there any other shares that you guys would like to make? I actually, so Shannon, I think you said something about the lunch and learns. Yeah. And it's on our radar to use Elaine Beek. I feel like I'm a groupie with Elaine. Absolutely. How can and you, you not said be? that you don't write your books, see all the post-it notes. <laughs> There's, and I have coach others and feedback are two of the ones that I'm looking at. Okay. So we're going to be doing lunch and learns and talking about coaching employees and uh, giving effective feedback. So I do also want to be a, a total geek and show that I also had Elaine sign my book. Oh, yay. <laughs> Absolutely. Elaine's a fabulous human being. It's always good to know that when people write books and you meet them face to face, that they're actually good people. 
I was going to say, I haven't met her yet, but she actually sent me this book. So oh, that's I, nice. yeah, she's delightful. And she's been, I emailed her on a, or sent her like LinkedIn message on a whim thinking, oh, she's not going to respond. She's Elaine Beak. And she responded like immediately. She is so, she's a wonderful person. But yeah, this has just tons and tons of great information in it. So that's Developing Talent for Organizational Results. Mm-hmm. Elaine Beak. Absolutely. And anything that Elaine puts together is going to be tremendous. And so I have quite a few of her right. books. And she has a recent like career skills book too that is also really phenomenal. That I don't have that sitting here, but I have that at home. And it's a really, it's another really great one. Excellent. Excellent. Elaine puts together a lot of these books, especially for ATD. And she's always very generous in her time. And speaking of nice people, I'll plug this book while we've got a little bit of time, which is Brain Rules by John Medina. So Brain Rules by John Medina, also a book that should be on every L&D person's shelf. And it's been around for a while now, but he really does tackle all of the different brain myths that we have, you know, how the brain works. And one of the things that he does make a point of is there's a lot of things we know about the brain and there are a lot of things we do not know about the brain. And he makes the analogy, if we could just figure out why the brain just told the arm to pick up this coffee cup and how that whole process happens, we would be leaps and bounds. Because right now, some of those things, we still don't know why we do the things we do. And he was also a very nice person. I met him at an ATD conference here several years ago and I made mention that I was a big fan of his book and his publisher or his assistant there took down my address because I had said that I'd wanted a, an autograph book if that were possible. And not only did he send me an autograph book, he sent me a case of books to give away to, you know, Learning Rebels community. And this was several years ago, a whole case of books just and I didn't even ask for it. It was like, wow, that was very generous of spirit just to say we want to help lift the learning within the industry. So it's always great to be able to know that your heroes are nice people. Doesn't always happen. And so when it does, we need to make recognition of that. Okay, so we are at the top of the hour. So thank you everyone for showing up and sharing all of your books. Okay, any special things that we're doing over Memorial Weekend? I'm off to Germany on Monday. I'm going to speak at a conference. Oh. All about evaluation and data next week. Oh, that sounds like fun. I love Germany. I'm going to the Pennsylvania Wine Expo. Oh, well, now that sounds like fun. More of that, please. Oh, Flavor Fest. Yeah, yeah, it'll be fun. My cousin who lives in Kansas has came to Texas for vacation, and so they're stopping by to visit me on their way home. Oh, that's nice. That'll be a nice family time. I'm in the Chicagoland area and it's been violently raining and I have no, I think it's supposed to be nicer weather over the weekend, but, and I'm currently um, cat sitting my youngest daughter's cat in my house and that's been going pretty well. So probably pay more attention to hers because I'm at work all day. <laughs> excellent. Excellent. Well, thank you everybody. I appreciate you coming in. everyone for hanging with us for another Learning Rebels Coffee Chat where we discussed what's on our reading list. There were so many good books discussed today. I knew the Learning Rebels community would not disappoint. 
and I counted no less than 30 books discussed. A full list of those books is located in the show notes below. I'm also glad we had the short conversation about hosting a department book club. Book clubs can be a really smart way to get people to share and collaborate as a team. But as discussed, be sure the book is relatable, it's relevant, and that the club has a clear goal and an actionable outcome for what they are reading. As a reminder, all the resources will be found below. And while you're there, be sure to hit the subscribe button so you don't miss out on future chats. Want to join the live coffee chat? We'll go over to learningrebels.com and simply sign on up. In the meantime, stay curious, be rebellious, and take over the world. Bye for now. Mm-hmm.